Hi everyone, welcome to Unplugged by Good Bets, where we provide the latest tips, strategies, and straightforward advice to underdog entrepreneurs and anyone who wants to leave a legacy by launching and growing a thriving social enterprise. I'm Nicole Jarbo from the Good Bets Group, and I'll be your host as we dive into the world of successful social entrepreneurship. Our episodes will be a hodgepodge. Some days we'll answer your most urgent startup questions, and others will interview founders you should know but we'll always provide practical and unfiltered advice to help you build a better venture faster. Hey everyone, I am super excited to introduce our next guest. This is Evan Robinson, co-founder of New York on Tech, now America on Tech. Congrats on their big rebrand and expansion, which you will hear more about in a sec. Um, But yeah, with... uh, like with no further ado, let's get started. So Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Nicole, thanks for having me, it's a pleasure. So there's so much to talk about, but let's start out for the folks who don't know who you are and what America on Tech does. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Evan Floyd Robinson. I always like to tell people that I'm a native New Yorker, particularly a Brooklynite, because Brooklyn is home for me still and a place that I hold uh, very dear to my heart. I currently serve as president of America on Tech. America on Tech is a early pipeline tech talent accelerator. We work with underestimated students from low-income backgrounds, particularly students of color and women, where we put them in out-of-school time, during-school time, or... Uh, after-school time technical training programs. So students are with us during our semester-based programs or year-long programs learning about front-end web development, back-end web development, as well as UX um, design and product management. Uh, Our programs can range anywhere from about 10 weeks to nine months, and students are with us traditionally between one to three years, depending when they come into the American and Tech program. Uh, so to kind of give you a high level of what we're doing, we, and particularly in, in just in New York City, from a micro level, we work with about 60 different partnering high schools. All of these high schools are Title I schools, so the majority of the population is eligible for free lunch. Um, we recruit students directly from those schools who have an interest in technology, but due to the school or the zip codes that they live in, sometimes may not have access to deep technical curriculum and then also professional mentors in the space. And so we accelerate their interests. We help incubate them um, in regards to giving them the technical training, connections, resources they need to get their their foot into the door of the technology industry. Um, That can be everything from after going through our programs to going into internship placements at large organizations or startups, uh, doing apprenticeships or majority of our students after our programs actually go to college and about 85 percent of our students when they go off to college are majoring in um, CS information management information systems uh, so a broad range of different majors that are uh, particularly traditionally technical um, and aligned to uh, potential opportunities again into the technology industry and I'm happy to unpack that more I'm so excited to be here and taking a deeper dive into what we do in myself. Yeah, there's so much time to unpack that, that we probably don't have, but it's all right. We'll try our best. Um, So take back a little bit. Can you, um, you alluded to it, but can you define what underestimated means to you all in terms of as you recruit talent, who you're really looking for to support? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So underestimated to us means you're 
traditionally from a low-income background, um, you are considered a minority and you're from an area or you're of a race when people traditionally think about talent, um, they probably think that the talent is in a large percentage there. Uh, being someone that's from the inner city, uh, particularly from the inner city of Brooklyn, East New York, Brooklyn. So shout out to anyone from East New York, Brooklyn, Brownsville, Bushwick uh, that is listening to the podcast. Um, I know what it means to come from a zip code where people uh, particularly think of people as just one way. And when, um, when, they, when they hear of the neighborhood that you're from, they may not equate it to being a place of full with talent or innovation. Um, and being, you know, someone from the community, I know that that is not true. And so instead of saying underprivileged or, um, you know, that's a, a word that a lot of people use in the, in the social impact space, underprivileged. And um, while that's a common word, we decided to use the word underestimated because we truly believe that the participants, the students, the young adults that we work with are underestimated because they are, they are truly innovative, they're hardworking, they're go-getters, but what sometimes may not be there is the opportunities, the platforms, the connections for them to accelerate that, that excellence that lives inside of them, and we see ourselves as that bridge. Yes. All right. Let's, let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to something you just talked about, this idea of like social capital. Like what does it really take for you know, these youth who people are really just honestly sleeping on and not thinking about what does it take to get them to succeed so I want to talk about that in a second but first I want to know more about you and for everybody who's listening Evan has a co-founder Jessica Santana who cannot be here with us today because I think she's sick um, that's cool we're gonna send her good vibes uh, and we're also gonna throw her social in here because her Instagram is fire and it's really fun. <laughs> if you just want to see a lot of selfies and a lot of getting work done and sometimes some pull shots. Um, all right. So talk to us about who you are. And I think within the context, who you are, why would you start this, right? Like why is this community and this particular mission important to you? And where does that come from? Yeah, certainly. Before I get into that, special shout out to Jessica Santana, my co-founder. And you can, I mean, do the shameless plug. You can follow her at Jess Worldwide on all her social media channels. You can also follow me at Evan Robinson. That's E-V-I-N Robinson on my social media channels. And Jessica is actually currently sick. I think that's uh, that comes with the entrepreneurial hustle and just being a leader of an organization. Sometimes you work really hard, um, especially right now. As you mentioned earlier, Nicole, we just went through a national rebrand. We just launched in L.A. We're gearing up for our large gala that's actually taking place next week at Chelsea at Chelsea Pairs here in New York City which is called Innovators and Disruptors. That's gonna have about 200 guests. And so all of our engines and cylinders are running and that comes, that's the name of the game, right? That's the name of the game as far as like working and, and burning out. And that's definitely maybe something we should talk about here during the podcast, managing uh, burnout as an entrepreneur. But Jess is sick, but she's still grinding. Um, I see the email still flying. Even though that she's, that <laughs> it's probably like the special. first time she's been, she's not even fully out either like she's still grinding that's just her anyways at yeah. some point we're gonna have her here because she's a wealth of information about how to manage this how to keep pushing forward and how to like let your passion really guide your work but we'll mm -hmm. do that in the future um all right evan so take us back why is this important to you and who who are you where are you from uh, what does this mean 
Yeah, so uh, take a step back. I started my career in the technology industry as particularly a tech consultant, working for large uh, financial institutions and helping them go through tech transformations. So that was everything from, you know, helping them implement uh, websites or, or mobile apps or um, helping them implement SAP, Salesforce, or thinking innovatively about how to leverage artificial intelligence or robotic process automation, all in the name of doing better business, you know, securing new customers, um, and also uh, growing global footprints. And so that was my background. And I think, you know, when I was working in the technology industry, I, I loved it, right? I think working as a tech consultant particularly allowed me to get exposure to pretty much every aspect of technology um, from every part of it, from strategy to implementation to the technical coding side to uh, testing, you name it. Um, so it really gave me um, knowledge of what it mean, what it meant to be a true uh, practitioner in the, in the technical world. Um, however, you know, to take a step back, Jessica and I uh, one day randomly sat down at a Starbucks and we were just chatting and we were talking about how we were the first in our in our immediate families to like graduate from college first in our immediate families to go to corporate america and work on these really cool innovative products and seeing how the global economy was changing and how business was changing and how wealth was being created um from from institutions as well as from an individual basis and we were just saying to ourselves like we're really fortunate to be here but you know how do we get other people here and around this time that's when a lot of the companies were putting out diversity and inclusion reports and was saying like you know you've seen the drastic numbers of like only two percent of you know blacks and latinos were present and that's collectively like two percent like black latinos uh pre present in the organization and both the large organizations and even smaller orgs that are more like local or you know in some cities they were putting out reports and so jess and i were reading through reports and we kept seeing this theme of companies saying that there was a lack of talent um, and as a result of the lack of talents, that's why the technology industry wasn't diverse when it came to people of color and women. And again, being um, a person of color, being from the inner city, we knew that that wasn't the truth. We knew that there was actually an abundance of talent um, in certain areas and in certain zip codes, but what was missing was the access and the opportunity for them to be um, given the chance to show, you know, their, their true talents and be given an opportunity to go into certain work environments and to accelerate themselves. Um, so what we did is we got a bunch of friends together uh, that were working at different tech firms. Um, and we started New York on Tech, which originally started as a mentoring group. So we had friends come together and kind of coach students um, and give them some entry-level exposure to the technology industry. And then we realized that what we were doing, we could go a lot deeper. And so we started to develop some curriculum. Uh, we first developed curriculum on front-end web development. Then we took it to back-end web development. And now we have curriculum around UX uh, design, product management, and we're building out some other curriculum. And so now, five years later, we are America on Tech. Uh, we started up our, our first program with 20 students from one high school. Now we serve over 2,000 students now across New York City and LA. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we work with about more than 65 high schools, if you're including LA and New York City. Um, so it started purely as a passion project to give back. Um, and I've, I've never, to be honest with you, I never imagined that it would reach the scale that it's operating at now. But I think 
because this was a passion project for us and it was something that was rooted in community and rooted truly in giving back and making sure that people were positioned properly to compete fairly for opportunities of today and opportunities of tomorrow. It's, um, it's a blessing to be running this organization. It's really humbling to have uh, an amazing team that we work with, amazing group of sponsors and supporters that, that help us with our work, our board of directors. Um, but that's a little bit of how we started. It was truly just um, a call to action to give back, which uh, turned into a full-time job. And I'm happy to tackle that, you know, how to make the transition from passion project to full-time job and all of the hurdles and, you know, scary, uh, <laughs> scary things that you have to go through Sleep in order to nice. make that, that possible. Yeah. Actually, that was a perfect segue because I do want to talk about that. But real briefly, will you tell folks uh, what Jessica was doing for work at that time? Yeah, so Jessica was doing the same yeah, so Jess was doing the same thing. She was working as a technology consultant. Um, the only difference was Jess went from first Jessica was consultant government agencies on tech transformations, and then she moved over to helping financial services industry, uh, the financial services industries. My career was always um, in tech consulting for uh, the financial services industry. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that briefly and this will come up with your transition story in terms of, you know, leaving that kind of role to be, basically run a nonprofit and people, I think if you like nonprofits are, are scary because folks aren't making money because it's hard, all the things that we can talk about. Um, but I want to talk about what, what it was actually like to, I know for Jessica leave a big consulting firm globally known, et cetera, um, to starting this like where did safety come in for you know for you as well like you had this stable job especially being the first one in your family to go to college etc like this doesn't feel like the safe move how did you navigate that transition yeah yeah definitely not the safe move <laughs> but it's, you know, it's <laughs> worth it when everything when, when you when you think about it from a mic when you think about it from a macro perspective it's definitely not the safe move to make but i'm a strong believer in chasing your dreams but chasing your dreams strategically so to take a step back what i would say is um i always give props to jessica she left first you know she she kind of decided to jump out of the corporate world first and, and, and run with New York on tech. And then I came a few months after, but I would say one of the big things to do before making that transition is make sure that you secure some capital. Um, I think nowadays, you know, entrepreneurship is something that a lot of people romanticize and fantasize about, but a lot of people are not giving you the true game in regards to what it really means to be an entrepreneur. Think about, you know, you just mentioned this, we were working at these large global consultancies that, right. When, when everyone says the name of the company, they're like, oh, yeah, you work there? That's a great company, right? right. And it comes with the brand validation. It comes with a stable paycheck. You have a 401k match. You can go to the dentist. You can go to the doctor. <laughs> you, have, you know, you have all the perks of working for a large organization. And when you become an entrepreneur, yes, you can achieve that. We have all of those things now as an org, right? We're now applying. We're now the supplier of that. Like, we're giving our employees health benefits, 401k match, et cetera, et cetera. But in the beginning, that's totally not it, right? In the beginning, you're really just pulling things together and figuring it out as you go. So my first practical kind of step or advice that I would say that we did is before Jess left, we actually made sure that we had some, some capital ready for us to deploy into the business that we were actually going to be working on, which was New York on Tech. So Jess, uh, we applied to an accelerator program. That accelerator program came with some initial um, investment. Um, 
for us to run the organization. So when Jess was transitioning out, it wasn't that she was transitioning out on hopes and dreams, right? She was transitioning out into um, having some sort of a capital uh, foundation there that we could leverage to help us chase our dreams. So I think that's very important, particularly when we talk about people of color, if we want to have real talk, like I know you mentioned earlier, like when we talk about people of color, when we talk about first generation, you know, being a person of color is hard in itself, but when you talk about being an entrepreneur and navigating, you know, being the first in your family, that's even harder because for a lot of our families, we are their 401ks, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of our family members may not have a 401k plan. They may not be planning um, correctly or not even say correctly, but, you know, not be informed about how strategically um, plan for retirement and things like that. So when you're the first in your family to work for, a large organization of first in your family to, you know, finish college, a lot of your families look to you for as that support system. So I think it's um, f- both financially, emotionally, you name it, right? And so I think it's very important for you to be strategic when you're making that transition from working at an organization to running your own thing that you're not just chasing it with hopes and dreams, but you're chasing it with some sort of, you know, foundation there. So one, I would say, the way that we made that move was setting up some capital, making sure that we were part of an accelerator program that was going to help us chase our dreams. Um, And then two, also we saved, right? So, you know, when I left corporate, when Jessica left corporate, we both saved up some cash ourselves personally. Some of that cash was invested into New York on tech, now America on tech as startup capital. Um, But in addition, a lot of that money was used for us to live. Um, because, you know, being a first-time entrepreneur right out the gate, you're not going to have a, a large, you know, uh, payroll. You're not going to be seeing that, that uh, those checks coming in, right, that make your face light up when, when, the, when the direct deposit hits. And so right. you have to make sure that you're saving correctly so that, you know, when you leave to run your organization, it doesn't become a burden on your life, right? And I think that's something to really talk about is that you're chasing your passion, but you don't want your passion to become a burden on your life. Um, so we could definitely talk about that. But those are some of the initial steps uh, that we took before we left the large organizations to chase our dreams of being social impact leaders um, in the space around the work that we're doing. Yeah, thank you for that. You said something I, I really want to dig into. Um, first, I want to ask, like, how did your family respond to you being like, hey, I'm going to stop this cushy job that you all have been working so hard for me to finally get and secure. I'm just going to leave that and uh, do something totally random. Yeah, so to be honest with you, I didn't really consult anyone in my family. Um, So I just did what I wanted to do. Um, But, you know, I did tell my mom um, that this is what I was doing. And I think the one good thing about my mother is she's always been supportive. She's always been like a supportive mom since day one. And even if she didn't understand what I was doing, I think she had enough faith in me and felt that she, uh, gave me enough, uh, teaching and guidance along the way that whatever I was doing, um, that I would be okay. So with that said, you know, I kind of just tell my mom, like, hey, I'm going to be leaving my job um, to run in New York on tech. And at that time, to be honest with you, there were kind of like stages of anxiety. 
um, you know, before you do it, because a lot of people are asking, like, are you making the right decision? Are you sure? And it really gets kind of, your heart really starts beating fast when you get right. to the end and you get to like the HR perspective and you have like all those offboarding papers that you have to sign and you have to like clean your inbox and, you know, give back your, your badge and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, this is real. This is real, real. This is not for play. Um, so it comes with some level of an anxiety there. But in regards to my family, I just was honest with my mom, like, hey, this is what I'm about to do. And she was just kind of just supportive and it's been a, a day one supporter since I was a young lad to, you know, a, an adult now doing the entrepreneurial slash social impact leadership thing. Nice. Shout out to Evan's mom. Um, Shout out to her. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about, oh, there's so many things I want to talk about. All right. So you know, you, you mentioned this, this sort of second guessing that can happen during that transition, like being like, here are mm-hmm. my papers, I'm going to sign out, I'm really going to do this, this is real. What kept pushing you through that decision, that anxiety that you were feeling? How did you know this was the right decision for you? Yeah, so I think at first, uh, the, the anxiety was there the whole time, right? The only way that I, the, the, the true way that I was able to push through it was when I came through to the realization that, hey, at the end of the day, and this is just for me, this is individual, I'm talking about Evan, this is may change per individual. But for me, I would say to myself, hey, at the end of the day, if I leave and whatever I'm going to do doesn't work, this does not make me any less employable, right? Like what I meant by that was mm. I had an undergrad degree and um in a major I had an economics undergrad degree. I had really cool brand name internships all throughout college. Um, I had a technical masters, right? Um, I had really cool internships as a master's student as well. Um, I was working again at a well-known technology consulting company that people know about globally. And so I said to myself, at the end of the day, what I'm going to go chase next if it doesn't work out, and I have to return back into the corporate environment or I have to go work for someone, I don't think that is not going to make me less employable. Um, And so that was kind of my own internal kind of push to say, yeah, go do this. Because at the end of the day, I realized that I could have a dream in my head. But if I didn't, I'd rather know that I tried and failed versus not failing at all and wishing that I tried. And so that was kind of like the validation for me to say, go ahead, go do it, and we'll see what happens. And so, you know, I was, I had full of, I was full of anxiety, and I don't want to sugarcoat that for anyone that's listening to the podcast. Like I said, it gets real when, when it's time to sign those papers and it's time to hand back in your laptop. Um, but I realized that, like I said, my foundation academically and my foundation career-wise um, kind of gave me leverage that I knew that I would be able to use if I needed to get a, a job in the future. Nice. So you're, you were really like safety focused in terms of, uh, can I bounce back or is this, what, what, like if we could drill down on that, like what was yeah, yeah. that feeling? Why does it matter? The feeling, yeah. the feeling you get is for me, like I'm talking about for me, <laughs> I get, my heart was beating. Um, I couldn't like, you know, I would say the first 
the coming down to it, I was probably having, to be honest with you, like trouble a little bit of sleeping because you're trying to make sure that you're making the right decision. Um, but I got, you know, you get through that. Like what I tell people all the time, and I tell this to friends or students, everyone, the reason that you get nervous 90% of the time is because you want to you wanna do a good job. And what I mean by that, like, if you're leaving, you know, your job to become an entrepreneur, you're nervous because you're hoping that whatever you're going to go do next is going to pan out well. Or if you're about to go give a public speech in front of like a room of people or even give a, a speech in front of a, in front of a few people in a conference room, your, your palms are sweating, you're getting nervous, but you have to dig deeper into why you are getting nervous. A lot of times you're getting nervous because you, whatever you're about to uh, journey towards, you want to make sure that you, you're, you're doing that at the best level possible and that you're going to personally be good. And that was something else that I think, you know, that's a kind of a, a nugget or jewel there too, is like understanding why you get nervous, understanding why you get anxiety, understanding why, you know, you may second guess or second think yourself on some, on some uh, thoughts. Um, it's because what I realized for me was that I'm second guessing myself because I want to live a good life. I want to do well. I want to make sure that I'm making the right decision. Um, and so those were all the things that were going through my mind. But again, having that foundation there of knowing that I had a cool job previously, I went to a, a cool school, I had great internships, you know, I had connections in the industry still. Um, I, I felt that, you know, I, I would be good if, if the entrepreneurial thing didn't work out. Now I can clap, right? Because it's five years later and the entrepreneurial thing has worked out, right? Like we have a team, we're national, we're running, you know, we have a, a decent sized budget that we're overseeing. We have partnerships with global organizations, you know, um, so the, the safety and the security is there somewhat now. Um, and now when I look back on that kind of jump in that week, um, I, I realized that a lot of that nervousness came from the fact that I just wanted to make sure that I was going to be good <laughs> in, a, in a nutshell, you know? No, I really, I mean, I really appreciate that. I feel like that's a pretty common theme that I hear among folks who are finding and become successful and able, are able to grow and scale to sort of their ambition. So the next question I want to ask you related to that is, what is the end goal for America on Tech? Uh, like, what does yeah, the yeah. world look like if, if you all are consistent, if this is a world where folks who would um, normally be underestimated have the kind of access wide scale at large that you all are trying to provide? Yeah, that's a great question. So one I would say um, from America on Tech as an organization, we our goal is to become the um, kind of most talked about tech accelerator for for uh, underestimated people, or one of the top talked about you know um, accelerators for underestimated people. Meaning that when someone as early as high school says to their parents, says to a school teacher, says to someone in their community, "Hey, I want to be in the technology industry." Uh, as soon as that thought goes off in the individual's head, the first thing that comes to mind is like, I need to become a part of the America on Tech program. So we really want to become, you know, one of the most validated organizations out there when it comes to um, making sure that underestimated communities, people of color, women are 
being trained, prepared, and giving the accurate opportunities and resources to excel in the technology industry. From a long-term perspective, um, what that looks like for us is that many of our alum are headed off to college, they're majoring in technical degrees, they're leaving college, they're getting well-paying jobs in the technology industry, or they're becoming entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, leaders in their own respective ways and but leveraging the skill sets that we taught them and that they learned in college or in the workforce um, to, you know, chase their dreams and give back to society. Um, and the big hope for me too, and this is not saying that all, everyone needs to do this, but I would love for a lot of our alumni also to continue to pay it forward, right? Um, kind of tapping into more of a, a personal story, like a lot of the things that Jessica and I do today are, yes, rooted in community, uh, but they're rooted in community because we both understand that we sit in the positions that we're in today because people paid it forward for us, right? Like people invested time, people invested money, people invested resources to make sure that we were able to, um, you know, go to college, finish high school, go into corporate America, and so I hope that becomes the same kind of life cycle for our students where they're doing well in school, you know, they're doing well in the workforce, um, and that they continue to pay it forward in whatever way that is for them. Um, if they decide to, decide to open their own entrepreneurial ventures or sit on the board of directors of, of organizations or become investors or uh, champions internally for diversity, equity, inclusion at their organizations, whatever it is on the spectrum um, that, you know, that they're paying it for as well. So for us, long-term game is, you know, being the one of the most or the most talked about um, organization out there when it comes to accelerating um, underestimated communities. That That's amazing. I mean, there's, there's not a lot to say except for that's amazing. I appreciate that your goals and dreams are big. Because I found that folks from underrepresented communities, often who are building, sometimes they're just not thinking as big as they could and should. And so I appreciate that you and Jessica are committed to that and actually moving on it. So thank you for the work you're doing. It's definitely appreciated. But before you go, I want to ask a couple of questions that are actually more tactical for folks. So mm -hmm. the America on Tech model obviously heavily relies on partnerships um, with different companies and organizations. So tell me about y'all's like partnership approach. Um, who was the first big partner that you signed on? What was that like? How did you decide that, that partnerships were integral to your model? Yeah, so I won't name drop our first big partner, but they're sure. still a partner of us today. But I'll tell you about tactical steps. So to be honest with you, um, a lot of this in the business world is relationship-based, right? And so I was lucky, Jessica was lucky to have a pretty big, a good network and so a lot of our first partners were people that we knew like organ we had relationships to people in those organizations and, and inside of some sort of form right and so from there it was finding someone internally that is willing to support and champion what you're looking to do from a strategic perspective when it comes to actual partnership building i would say that no partnership a relationship is cookie cutter. Nothing is going to fall into the same shape, the same box. And so as an entrepreneur, it's your job to come into meetings. It's your job when you're sitting down with these organizations to assess mission alignment. And what I mean by that is when you're having these conversations with the partners on the other side of the table, 
um, you should be listening, listening critically to the things that are important to them as an organization, right? And then as you're listening to the things that are important to them as an organization, you then need to assess how that aligns to what you're trying to do as an org, as an entrepreneur, and make that connection point for them, right? Once you make that connection point for them, that's how most of the times you can start the beginning stages of a partnership. From there, when you start the beginning stages of a partnership, it's important for you to maintain that relationship and continuously think innovatively about how you can strengthen that partnership. And so you'll realize that maybe your partnership starts on a, on a stage level two, and your goal is to get it to a level 20. So throughout that entrepreneurial journey, you need to continuously uh, assessing and working with the stakeholders that you're working with from the partner organizations to continuously thinking about how do you strengthen that partnership. Another jewel that I think is important is once you have established a partnership with an organization, you then want to take that validation, right, because it's all about validation. You want to take that validation that you're getting from that org and you leverage that strategically to broker new relationships that foster into potential partnerships. And so that's collecting data, that's getting testimonials, that's video, that's social media, that's, you know, having people at your current company be willing to pick up the phone and talk to a partner that you're looking to secure. That's having that current partner be willing to shoot off an email on your behalf to validate that they're your partner and, they're, and they enjoy working with you. So it's all in stages. Um, but I would say the first thing first as an entrepreneur, and I think this is very important, um, listen more than you talk, right? And in this case, I'm talking a lot because we're on a podcast and it's all about me talking. But majority <laughs> of the times when I'm in a meeting, I don't do a lot of talking. And this is something that I learned. I, this is something that I learned through an accelerator. So I stress the importance of going through accelerators as well. An accelerator taught us that, hey, when you're going into these meetings as an entrepreneur, you're extremely passionate about what you do. You're extremely like 100% bought into what you do. So when that person asks you what you do, you automatically just start rambling off about all the amazing things that you do. That is not what you're actually supposed to be doing during that meeting. What your main goal to do during that meeting is to connect the dots for the other person on the side of the table. So instead of doing less talking, you need to get the person on the other side of the table to do more talking so that you can assess what is important for them and then you connect the dot. Because as an entrepreneur, sometimes we can talk so much about what we're doing that we lose the interest of the other person on the other side of the table. And so a meeting that could have went well sometimes doesn't go well because you have, have shared too much information, right? And so what you want to do is find the connection points. It's just like any human communication. When you're out networking and you're meeting with someone, the reason that you really get interested in someone is when you connect on something. Oh, I'm from Brooklyn. You're from Brooklyn? Boom, that's a connection point. And now we start talking more. Oh, I went to this university. Oh, I went to that university too. Boom, that's a connection point. And so when you're making these partnerships, when you're strategizing, when you're looking to build a relationship with an organization, your number one goal there is to make the connection point, but make a connection point um, that is valuable, that is um, with integrity, right? Don't lie about what you do, right? Don't overpromise something that you can't deliver. Don't talk about services that you don't deliver, right? Like make the connection point, but make it one that is of value and one that um, that you know is of truth. And that's what I would say. 
Uh, that was fire. So I don't even want to ask you any more questions, um, but I am. I have two more questions. So you're in a lot of communities with other social entrepreneurs, either early stage, it's probably less early stage now, but either early stage or folks who are more established. And so what do you feel like for these early stage folks, the biggest mistakes some of them are making, um, you know, might be? Yeah, don't seek validation. What I mean by that, early mm -hmm. stage, what you need to be doing is just proving your model, proving that your product, proving that your service works. Um, what I mean, let me, let me take a step back. Yes, seek validation from end users, seek validation from uh, you know, investors, seek validation from accelerators to help you grow, but don't seek validation from the large, larger ecosystem. What I mean by that, I think a lot of times, again, people are nowadays fantasizing romanticizing what it means to be an entrepreneur so people are launching things and they are expecting like 100 retweets people are launching things and expecting that they're going to see a, a 50,000 thumbs or heart signs popping up on social media don't do it for that community right like you shouldn't be doing this to, to be validated by others or to end up on a, a list or to receive an award you should truly be doing it in the name of delivering good services and products to your end users to you to and to stakeholders and so that would be my my biggest you know advice of like make sure that early on you're doing it for the right reasons i get a lot of people that are like super early stage that hit me up and like hey evan i see you're on this list can you recommend me yeah I w yeah i would recommend you i have no problem recommending you for a list or for an award but you shouldn't be doing it for that, right? A lot of the things that we get recognized for, and a lot of people always like to bring that up about me and Jessica, like, oh, you got this award, you're on this list, you spoke at this conference. These are things that come to us organically, right? Like, and not to say that we don't want them as good and it helps validate you, yes, it makes you feel good internally, but, you know, at the end of the day, I know why I'm doing this work. And the reason that I'm doing this work is because I wanna provide top-notch services to our students. I want to provide top-notch services to our partners. I want to provide a great experience to our board. I want to provide a great experience to the greater America and tech community, everyone that supports us from whatever stage that they're supporting us from, right? And so make sure that as you're going through the early stages of entrepreneurship that you're rooting yourself in doing it for the right reasons and not doing it for the marketing or doing it for the hype. Um, I think that's very important to kind of know as an early stage entrepreneur. Yes, mic drop on that. Um, all right, last question, Evan. Uh, where can people find you and Jessica and learn more about America on Tech and the Innovators and Disruptors Awards and all the other good stuff y'all are doing? Yes, so you can learn more about America on Tech at americaontech.org. So that's spelled out America and then on, O-N, and then tech. T-E-C-H, T-E-C-H dot org. We're also America on Tech across all platforms. I just think on Instagram, we are America on Tech org. So just add org to the end of America on Tech. You'll be able to find us there. Again, Jessica Santana's social media is just worldwide across all social media platforms. And then my uh, social medias are um, Evan Robinson. So again, that's E-V-I-N um, and then Robinson. Um, on all social media. So hit us up, follow us. If you got any questions, feel free to slide in my DMs. I have no problem with replying. Um, 
Also, Innovative Disruptors Awards that is taking place next week on Thursday, October 24th from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. at Chelsea Piers. We're going to be giving out awards to about 22 entrepreneurs from some of the world's most recognized brands and fastest growing startups across different categories, everything from engineering to venture capital to product management to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we're, we're, we're teeing it up. It's a three-course meal. It's going to be a plate of dinner. Um, so, you know, I'm hyped. I'm excited. And um, looking forward to next week and everything. So, yeah, I had a good time today, too. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Evan, you're amazing. Say what's up to Jessica. Thank you so much for being here. And everyone out there, please check out American Tech. Jessica and Evan are some of the most um, hardworking, inspired, passionate folks who actually know how to do the work that they say they're committed to. So great model. Evan, you're the best. Thank you so much. Good luck with the awards. And I'll talk to you really soon. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer or an idea for a show? Email us at hello at goodbets.co with unplugged in the subject line. If you want to learn more about GoodBets Group and our work, then visit us at goodbets.co. That's G-O-O-D-B-E-T-S dot C-O. Till next time.